0: Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Grab your Bibles if you will, uh, and let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 is where we're going to be in just a second. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Hope you have a copy of God's Word or a device or somewhere that you can uh, join in with us. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 as we continue our new sermon series called The Repenters. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And while you're turning there, let me simply say, congratulations, you made it. Uh, If you were here last week, you found out that we started a sermon series talking about our flesh and the war we have within, and you came back for week two. Congratulations. Because look, and if you're here for the very first time, welcome. We're glad you're here as well. Well, You'll have this fight next week, right? Because I imagine for many of you, it was a little bit of a fight to get here today. Last week, we learned we have three main enemies in our life as believers. As we walk as believers in this world, we are going to face the world. We are going to face the devil, but we will also face this internal enemy, An enemy that literally is within ourselves, it is our very flesh that seeks to draw us away from Christ, that tempts us away from the Lord. This is part of that fallen nature that though we are saved, we still wrestle with. And so when the the idea comes in of like, hey, am I going to go to worship to learn about this? There is a fear that is attached to that, and it's a fear we have to push through. Because all of us at some level are aware of this sin, but we come up with some sort of uh, coping mechanism to deal with it. And so for some of us, we just kind of ignore it. We just kind of like pretend it's not there, right? We just say, I don't want to look at that, Adam. I don't want to talk about my flesh because if I actually looked at that, I might be scared at what I found. Adam, I know that there's something probably down in there. I know kind of what I'm wrestling with, and I am just terrified that if I honestly looked at this and I asked God to show this to me, I would be upset at what I saw. And maybe I'm aware, and I don't want anybody else to find out. I'm terrified that others would find out what I'm wrestling with, what dark thoughts I I deal with, what things I struggle with. I I try to make sure nobody knows, and we're, we're just kind of keeping that hidden so much so we don't even want to look at it. This, by the way, is kind of like when people don't want to go to the doctor. This may be you, right? You just like avoid going to the doctor for years and years. You kind of know there's probably something wrong or they'll find something, which is why you don't go, right? You don't want to look at it. So as long as I don't go, it's not there, right? Wrong. You know there's something back there and this is a coping mechanism that doesn't work. Our fear stays intact. Others of us, we just minimize our sin, We know that there's something back there, but we just kind of try to tell ourselves lies. It's not that bad. Look, I know it's probably not good, and it's not great, and sure, it's a sin, but it's not a bad sin. It's certainly not as bad as what other people are doing, and and I'm saved, right? So it's all good, and and we just try to minimize our sin. We we just kind of try to bury it or justify it or rationalize it so that we can keep it in our life, but there's a fear underneath that as well, isn't there? Because deep down, we know we're wrong, Deep down, we know we have the conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, this is not okay. And so that fear that it, this is going to come to the surface, that arises in us as well, even as we try to minimize it. And then some of us just try to convince ourselves we're good enough. We, we say, well, Adam, I don't need to worry about my sin because I'm, I'm good enough, right? I'm a good enough person, this is everybody who said, hey, how do you know that you're going to heaven? Well, I'm a good person, right? I've done more good things than bad things, and so I'm going to heaven, right? No, no, that is not how it works, but sometimes we fall into this kind of thinking, we say, yeah, Adam, I know I got some sin in my life, and there's some sin there, but, but I've done so many good things that that outweighs this sin, right? In fact, some of you will go home today and say, well, because I went to church today and I listened to that sermon about the flesh, I can now do this, right? I've earned that right, haven't I? I've done so many good things that I'll, allows me just a little bit of sin over here on the side, as long as I'm good enough, Right? But even there, that fear lives underneath the service because you never know if you've ever done enough. In fact, we all know deep down inside you can't do enough. There's not enough we could do to conquer our own sin. And so we, we try to kind of tamp everything down with these, these coping mechanisms, but it never really tackles our true fear. We live in fear of trying to deal with this. What are we going to do with the sin that is indwelling in us, the sin that we're all still dealing with because these coping mechanisms do not work at all. And if you and I are actually going to go on this journey together, if we're going to actually tackle our flesh, to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and transform us and to cleanse us, we're going to have to tackle this fear. And the only way we will ever tackle this fear is if you, ha- you and I have a rock-solid trust in our salvation. We will not survive this journey. We won't even attempt the journey unless you and I have a rock solid conviction, a trust in the salvation that you and I have in Jesus Christ. So before we even get into what this battle actually looks like, we need to make sure our foundation is secure because if you don't trust your salvation, you will not enter into this journey. Look, I learned this years ago. Uh, many of you guys know that when I went to college, I went to Sanford University. Uh, and when I got to Sanford, I pledged a fraternity, which was a shock to me as much as it was to everybody else. I hadn't planned on doing that. Uh, but fraternities are a little bit different than at a state school. Uh, and I met some great guys. It was awesome. And so I pledged Pi Kappa Phi, uh, which was awesome. Who just won step sing, by the way. Rock on. All right, so happy about that. Dave Watson and I, fun fact, were actually in the same fraternity together at Samford. Uh, and, and so listen, I joined this fraternity uh, but when you pledge a fraternity, you're still getting to know these guys, or you're trying to kind of get in. I'm just a pledge. And one of these guys, they said, they said hey, we got a group. We're going to go repelling. Adam, do you want to go? Now, I didn't know what repelling was. But when all the guys say, hey, we're going to go do this, you just say yes, right? And so we did. And so I got in the car with a bunch of guys. And so we're heading up to Bluff Park to go repelling. And repelling is what happens when you take a rope, and you attach it around yourself, and then you, you jump off a cliff. Right? And, and up in Bluff Park, there are cliffs, right? And they're anywhere from 40 to 70 feet. You can see them up there. I used to live right up there. Uh, and so we go up there and I'm, I'm in kind of shock and horror as these college guys are, are taking all this gear and these ropes and these harnesses and, and things and they kind of put it on themselves because in just a second, they're going to go off this cliff. Uh, right now, I, 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 I had a fear of heights at this point in my life, uh, but I'm not about to tell them that, right? But I, generally, I didn't know this, but I have a fear of jumping off cliffs. I don't know if anybody else has that, but I had that apparently, and I didn't know that I don't want to jump off a cliff. Why? Because I, I understand science, and if I walk up to the edge there, I recognize that if I put myself over the cliff, I will die. That's what happens, okay? Gravity comes into effect. I cannot fly. So if I go over the edge, I will die. That's what's going to occur. And I know this. And yet I watch these guys. They just kind of whoop and they just kind of go over the edge. And I'm like going, no, 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 you go first. No, 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 you. Until finally, it's my turn to go. So here they are, and I'm kind of, they can see me, I'm starting to hyperventilate. They're kind of putting a little harness on me, and they got the rig, and they got the ropes, and I'm going, I don't know if I want to do this. And they said, hey, it's going to be okay, just like, trust the ropes, and, and, and trust your brothers. And I'm, I'm going, I'm, I just met you, like a month ago, like, I don't, I don't know if I do that yet, and I've never seen these ropes before, man. It's he's like, look, all these kids, nobody's dead yet, we're going to be, oh, you said yet, right? Like, what are we... What are we doing? And I said, here's what's going to happen, Adam. Right? Look, there's, a, there's the cliff edge right here. Uh, I'm going to put the harness on. You've got the ropes. And then what I want you to do is you just like turn around and, and put your back towards the cliff, which I guess is like a mercy thing, right? You know, like, so you don't see the death coming, right? You're going to back into your death, right? This almost seems worse somehow, right? I'm not even going to see it coming. And so I said, what you do is, Adam, you're going to hold the rope here, hold the rope here, and you're going to lean back and just sit like you're in a chair. I'm like going, I hate to inform you guys, there's no chair. There's just death right there. That's it. There's nothing. There's just air. And they said, no, you're going you're to be okay. And so, but again, I, I don't know how I got here in life, but here, I'm grabbing onto these things, and I'm looking down at the bottom. There's a guy at the bottom. I think his name was Jason Wallace, good friend of mine. And he says, Adam, trust your brother. Trust your brother. We got you. The ropes have you. We got you. You can do this. And I'm like going, whoo, okay. All right, so grab these ropes, and after a long time of consternation, I kind of sit down like I'm in a chair, and I lean back into... Well, not my dad. <laughs> and there I am, kind of like I'm, I'm sideways, like on a on a cliff. I'm like, Ooh. <laughs> I mean, y'all, y'all okay. all right, just do this. Everybody do this. Like, put your head like that way. Everybody, put your head that way. See, that's what it look like, right? I'm like I'm sideways. Like, Ooh. here I am, like I'm Spider Man and down this cliff. I'm walking sideways on a cliff. It was amazing. And look, after that, I did this all day long, man. I would go forwards. I would go backwards. I would jump off little overhangs and just hang in the air. It was exhilarating. Where had my fear gone? Well, look, when you just put me next to an edge of a cliff and I look over, I recognize that by myself, I have nothing to keep me from death. But when I put my trust in these ropes and this harness and the guys who had hooked me up and were had, had me on belay at the bottom, I knew I was secure, And once I knew I was secure, I will gladly jump off that cliff because they got me. Okay, here's the thing. If you and I are gonna go on this journey to actually look at our sin, to look at the terrifying things that you and I are still wrestling with, you will never make the journey on your own because we cannot handle it. But when you put your faith in the salvation that Jesus Christ has given and is giving to us, you can feel secure. It overcomes our fear so that we actually will face our very flesh and even find victory over it. So we need to make sure that we have a real, actual trust in our salvation. And so we're going to look at two aspects of that. We're going to look at our justification and our sanctification. We'll start with our justification. And that's why we're here in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now We're going to read a lot of verses here today. We'll be in a couple different places. But I want you to hear what the Lord tells us about the salvation he's given to us. Paul is speaking. But in Romans 5, starting in verse 1, he says this. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. This is the greatest news that has ever been told. This is the greatest news in the universe that the God who made us loves us and gave his life for us. And even greater than that, he does this when we're at our worst. Did you read verses six through eight? You see, at just the right time, while we were still weak, while we were ungodly, while we were unrighteous, while we were enemies of God, while we were sinners, Jesus Christ gave his life for us. He didn't say, maybe if you're good enough or you clean yourself up or you do enough good deeds, then maybe possibly I could love you. He says, no, I've seen you at your worst and I love you so much. I am willing to even give my very life for you. I'm not even saying, hey, I'm willing to hang out with you. No, I want to sacrifice my very life to save you. This is the greatest news in all the universe. This is the greatest love that there has ever been. That for every single one of us, no matter who you are or what you have done, there is a love from the God who made you and says there's salvation in me. He loves you. You don't have to earn it. You couldn't earn it. It's just given to you if you're willing to receive it. This is the good news of the gospel. But please understand this. When Jesus Christ is dying on the cross for us, this is not an object lesson. He is not just giving us a grand gesture. He's doing something. And specifically, he is justifying us before a holy God. See, we saw that word twice there. Look at verse one and notice what it says. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. All right, then he's gonna say it again down in verse nine. Look at verse nine for a second. It says, since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Alright, right, so what Jesus is doing by his death on the cross is this. He is justifying us before a holy God. What does that mean? It means that he is reckoning us as holy. You see, God is a just God. His justice must be satisfied, and we actually are sinners. We actually do deserve death. And so on the cross, a trade is happening. All of the wrath that we deserve, all of the punishment that we deserve, instead of falling on us, it is going to fall on Jesus Christ. He will take all of it, but then his perfection, his righteousness, all his perfection that he has rightfully earned, he just gives that to us. He gives it to us. We didn't earn it. We couldn't repay him for it. We could never deserve it, but he gives us his righteousness. If you were in Christ, you now wear the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Did you see those kids in those baptismal robes? That's how God sees all of us. Though we don't deserve it, we are reckoned as righteous before the Lord. In fact, some people, when they talk about this word justified, you can break it down and say, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God looks at you. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you have come to him in faith and say, Jesus, I can't save myself. I am a sinner. I admit it. I just throw myself and put my trust in you. Please save me. Jesus Christ saves us from our sins. He gives us his righteousness. And though we don't deserve it, we stand as justified before a holy God. That is unbelievable news. Because guess what? If that's what God has done, you cannot lose that. He's already died for all your sins. How are you going to sin your way out of this? He already paid for it. You've already been justified. He has already accomplished all that is necessary. If that is where my salvation is grounded, then I have trust. I'm not going to discover any sort of sin inside of me that will make me unjustified. I am not going to uncover anything in my flesh that would make God go, oh, I didn't know about that. And, oh, oh you, you've done that? You've thought that? Oh, then well, well, all bets are off. You're not going to lose it. You have this, and this is what gives us faith to move forward and deal with our flesh. Look, man, I had confidence in those ropes. I don't even know how those, all those ropes worked, Right? I don't even fully understand the whole system, but it worked. I trusted it. But look, if you if you had to trust me, if you just put me up there by myself and and let me do the ropes, and you let me have all the stuff, it would not have ended well. It would not. But I have something more solid. It's not what I have produced. These robes, this harness, the people walking after me, this is the righteousness of Christ, the perfect righteousness of Christ that clothes me. How can I have confidence before the Lord? Because my trust is not in myself or how well I acted this week or how much I have accomplished in my life. My trust is in the salvation of Jesus Christ. If you ever begin to worry that you are unworthy, to not good enough, guess what? We aren't. But look to the cross of Jesus Christ and recognize that if you are in him, you are now justified before the Father. You have salvation in him. You're justified, which gives you a confident place to stand. Did you hear that? So when we're talking about this this journey to deal with our flesh, I don't have to have any fear walking in because there's absolutely nothing that we will ever discover that will take me away from the salvation that I already have in Jesus Christ if I put my trust in him and not in myself. You are justified in him. But that's not where we stop. You see, the Lord didn't simply justify us. He is also sanctifying us. The Lord in his salvation, part of our salvation is our justification, but another part of our salvation is our sanctification. See, some of you heard what I just said, and you just go, whoo, all right, Adam, you were right. That is great news. That is awesome. So what you're telling me is, man, I can't lose this salvation. I've been given this salvation, so I guess my job now is just to kind of like run out the clock, right? Right? I mean, you no, know, just don't do any big sins, right? Not, don't do the big ones, right? But just just kind of run out the clock and then I get to go to heaven and I'm all good. There's no real need to grow or to fight my flesh or to do anything. I've already got my salvation. I, I guess I'm going to heaven, so we're all good, right? No, no, no. That is a, a total and complete misunderstanding of what the Lord has done for us. If we're assuming that this is just about heaven, this is this is just about skipping hell, we've kind of, we kind of missed the point. You see, when Jesus Christ came to save us, when he died on the cross to save us, he didn't simply come to save us from something. He came to save us for something. He didn't come simply to save us from our sin. He came to save us for a relationship in him. He wants us to know him. This is why he created us in the first place. He wants to have a a relationship with him. Heaven is not simply about not being in hell. Heaven is about being in Christ forevermore. If you do not want that, then you do not want heaven. Heaven is all about him. Eternal life is all about him. He saved us from our sins for a relationship with him. And so now that we are justified, we now do the work of actually going through a transformation to where we become like him. Uh, Look at this in 2 Corinthians. We're going to put this up on the screen. This is, uh, no, 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 that's a song. Uh, Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Um, It's coming up. Uh, 3, verses 17 and 18. Here we go. Uh, And listen to what Paul says. It says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you catch that? We are being transformed. You're saved. You're justified. Yes. But now you are being transformed into what? Into the glory of the Lord. As you and I behold the glory of the Lord and we see more of him, we understand more of him. Guess what? A transformation occurs where we actually start to become like him. The goal of our life is not simply to be saved from death. The goal of our life is that we would become like him, that we would actually love what he loves, hate what he hates, act how he acts, enjoy who he is as he enjoys us It's to live in relationship with him. And so we have to go through a process of transformation. Married couples ought to understand this, by the way. Uh, When you get married, an interesting thing happens, right? When you go to an altar and you get married, you are married, right? Done deal. When you leave the altar, you are married. Legally, spiritually, you are one. You have been declared married, But once you leave that altar, every married couple knows, now comes the hard work of actually being married, right? You have to learn it. Just because you said I do at an altar doesn't mean you know how to be married. That's a process. You gotta grow in it. here's the great news. The love that you have at your wedding day can actually be the smallest amount of love you have. It ought to grow over the course of your marriage. You actually find More love, more intimacy, more connection as you go forward. You are married, but you now actually need to go through the process of becoming married. It's the same with our salvation. When you get saved, you are saved. Truly, really, in real time. You're saved. But now, the goal of our life is to actually become saved. To grow, to be like him. This is the process of sanctification. By the way, there was sanctification. You can kind of break it down. Sanct, right there, the S-A-N-C, comes from the Latin sanctus, which means holy. So the process of sanctification is the process of making one holy. That's what God is doing in you. That's what he's doing in me. He is making us Holy. This is what we ought to be doing every day in our lives. We ought to be becoming more like Him. I'm already saved. I'm in Him. This is not a question. But now, day by day, year by year, decade by decade, I become more like Him. And you don't ever have to worry that it's not going to work or it's not going to work for you because he is committed to this. Look at Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He'll say this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Let that sink in. He who began a good work in you. It's not just done. Salvation is done, but in another sense, it's still happening. It started, and Jesus Christ is committed to bringing this to completion in you. This is the journey that we are all on as believers, not just a few of us, but all of us, me, you, all of us, every believer. We're on a journey of becoming more like Jesus Christ. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That ought to be the process of our life. We are still being saved. Uh, let, let's think about it this way. Uh, I want you, if you think about your salvation for a moment, think back to the time when you began a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Here are some necessary elements of salvation. In order for one to be saved, you have to know and recognize and believe a few things. Number one, you have to know that you're a sinner, that there is an actual God, and He makes the rules, not you, not me. God is actually right and wrong. I don't get to decide that, and guess what? I'm wrong. I recognize now there is a God, and I'm wrong. I am a sinner. But then I need to know that that God loves me. He loves me. He's not here to condemn me. He actually wants to save me. He sent his son to save me by his grace, not by my works. And if I will simply surrender my life to him, if I will admit I'm a sinner, I cannot save myself, Jesus, save me, I am saved. He loves me right then, by his grace He saves me, so I know that there's a God, that I'm a sinner, and that he loves me. Okay, you already knew that. To get saved, those things aren't necessary. You have to repent in order to be saved. But what happens after that? Well, the more you grow in your faith, a strange thing occurs. You find out that we really didn't know the fullness of all those concepts. We didn't. You're gonna find out that there's a God, but he's bigger than we ever thought he was. We knew he was there, but he's actually bigger than we thought. He's more beautiful than we thought. He's wiser than we thought, more powerful than we thought, more sovereign than we thought. We knew that we were sinners, but over time you'll find out we didn't know the half of it. We're way worse than we thought. We sinned so much more than we thought. This problem was worse than I thought, which means also his love is greater than I knew. You see, no matter how much of my sin I discover, What that means is is that Jesus has already paid for it. He already died for it. He loved me and He knew this already, which means His love is even greater than I thought. It's grander, higher, wider, deeper than I can even possibly imagine. The more you walk along in sanctification, you grow in the knowledge of all of these things. This ought to be the path of our life. He's not trying to hurt us, He's he's helping us. It's kind of like this I want you to imagine uh, being in complete darkness. Okay, you're just in complete darkness, and then, a, and then a light bulb goes on. But it's on one of those little dimmer switches, so you just see it, look kind of dim. So a light bulb goes on, and you start to see things. You see the light bulb, and you can kind of see outlines of yourself. You can see outlines of maybe a couple things in the room. A lot of things are still dark, but you see that light. And it's casting its light everywhere, and you see just a little bit. Now imagine that that bulb gets turned up a little bit to about half-brightness. Okay, now I see more of the room that I'm in. I kind of see where to go. I can actually pick out a path of, of where to go. I begin to see details in the walls. I also see myself in ways I hadn't before. Oh, I kind of see the clothes I'm wearing. Okay, I got a rip there. I didn't know about that. Oh, I got a stain there. I didn't really see that. And then turn that brightness up even to its full. Well, now I see more clearly where I am. I can see farther than I could have before. I also see myself in starker relief, and I see all the little imperfections in my clothing or in my skin or or all those little things. I, I see things I didn't know before. As we grow in Christ, this ought to be our experience. We ought to be seeing more of Him, more of His glory, more of His grace, more of His love, but we also will see more of ourselves. More of our sins, more of our inconsistencies, more of our failures. And you might say, so let me just ask that question. Is that happening for you? What's growing dim and what's growing brighter in your experience? Is the Lord growing in clarity? Are you seeing more of him? Do you find yourself wanting to love him more, worship him more, experience him more? Are you discovering more things about him that leads you to want to worship him more, to enjoy him more? Do you begin to see things about yourself? And instead of giving yourself more leeway, you begin to recognize, wait, wait, I don't want this sin either. Wait, this is worse than I thought. Wait, I don't, I don't want these things either. Are you beginning to grow in holiness, to grow in seeing who he is? Or is it the opposite? it's not the things of earth that are growing strangely dim. It might actually be the things of Christ that are growing strangely dim to where I find myself bored with the Lord. I don't find myself excited about him. Worship becomes a chore. And all of a sudden, it's actually the things of the world that capture my attention. It's the things of the world that really are brighter to me, that are in stark relief, that I really want to find myself drawn to what... Is it the things of earth that are growing strangely dim, or is it the things of Christ that are growing strangely dim? If we're walking in sanctification, we ought to be growing in that holiness, growing in godliness, literally becoming like Him. But you might say, yeah, but Adam, that's painful. That's painful. It's painful to see my sin. I don't, we talked about it at the beginning. I don't, I don't like that. It's embarrassing. I don't, I don't want to see these things. If I'm safe, why can't I just let sleeping dogs lie? Why can't I just get ignore it? I, it's painful to have to actually admit that I'm, I'm still broken. I've got problems in my life. I've got temptations and, and, and sin problems in my life. It's painful to do that. It is, which is why most people don't do it. But it's necessary. Remember, God's not punishing us. He's not beating us down. The purpose of sanctification is not to make us feel bad about ourselves. He's trying to heal us. He's trying to help us. The point of sanctification is actually to set us into more freedom, more joy, more life. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Sin leads to slavery and death, but following Christ leads to eternal life. And so if you and I recognize that this actually leads to our freedom will actually be willing to undergo this kind of surgery. I read a line this last, uh, last year, and I have not been able to get it out of my head. I, I can't tell you how many times I've come back to this. This is Richard Loveless, who wrote a book called Dynamics of Spiritual Life, and he says this, the anesthetic of grace is constantly needed in the healing process of sanctification along with the surgical ministry of the law. The anesthetic of grace is constantly needed in the healing process of sanctification along with a surgical ministry of the law. As you and I grow in sanctification, the Lord is healing us. He's making us more like him. He's setting us more free. We're becoming more like him. But that requires some spiritual surgery. We're going to have to deal with our flesh. We're going to have to deal with the things in us that still have not been mortified. But praise be to God, he doesn't just throw us on a surgery table. No, he gives us the anesthetic of his grace. He says, but you're saved, you're loved. There's nothing that we can discover that's gonna make God reject you. There's nothing that you can do that's gonna make God throw you away. There's nothing we're gonna discover that says God says, I can't handle that. He says, no, I will carry this on into completion. And so when you and I have the anesthetic of God's grace, it gives us the courage to walk in. Even when it's painful, they say, God, cleanse me. God, change me because I wanna become more like you. That's the supernatural transformation of salvation that you and I are a part of. Why in the world would we want to leave our sins untouched? Why would we want to leave them unchallenged if this is the process that God is leading us into? If this is where God is moving us forward into, why would we do that? And so today, to help us understand this and to help us really walk into this, we're going to come to the table and just like our greeting time earlier, we're gonna do this in a way we haven't done in a couple of years. We're actually gonna pass the plates uh, to one another. We're all gonna be able to do this together. I will pass the kits. And so if you just started hyperventilating, okay, about having to grab the little thing out of the pan, I have kits for you too. So don't worry. We're got, everybody's gonna be able to have, have something. But we're gonna to come to the communion table because at this table, we come to this table regularly. We come to this table often. The Lord reminds us that we are saved and that we are being saved, and that in him, we have all we need. So let me show you one more passage. This is First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 30. Um, you've heard a lot of these words before, but I want you to hear them again. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. There's warning when we come to the table. But we need to be very clear here because this can be misconstrued. For some of us, you might say, okay, Adam, so what it just told me was is I need to examine myself and see if there's any sin in me. And I guess if there is, then I don't need to come and and partake today. And, And while that sounds very righteous, that actually doesn't work. Because if we have to figure out who is sinless in the room and only they can come forward, this is going to be a real short ceremony. Because nobody gets to come. I can't go. You can't go. If the goal is to say, hey, is there any sin in me, then I can't come. Well, then nobody gets to come to the table. Nobody would have been worthy at the original table of the apostles when Jesus did this first. Jesus is not saying, hey, if you wrestle with sin, you can't come to the table. Hey, if you struggle with sin, you can't come to the table. We are all still there. We are all dealing with our indwelling sin in our flesh. No, the the challenge here is this. Are you coming to the table in an unworthy manner? Is anybody coming to the table just traipsing up and says, you know what, this is good. I've got sin in my life and I just don't care. I'm not going to challenge it. I don't want to deal with it. It's fine. It's fine. And I am willing to take this piece of bread that recognizes that Jesus' body had to be broken and I'll drink this cup recognizing that Jesus' blood had to be spilled to pay for my sin, but I'm not gonna challenge my sin. That would be coming to the table in an unworthy manner. Which is why it's right for us to examine ourselves and repent. I can't clean myself up enough to come to this table, but I ought to examine my heart and say, do I discern that Jesus died for my sins they're more serious than we think for anybody who says it's just a sin it's fine well apparently it's not because it cost Jesus his life if there was any other way he would have found it no to pay for our sins it requires his death the spilling of his blood and the breaking of his body it's that serious but God's love is so much greater that he gives And invites us to a table that reminds us that we are saved. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are saved. You're justified before the Lord. You have his righteousness. You've been reckoned righteous before the Father. And you're also being saved. You see, we come to this table again and again. We feed on him again and again. It's a reminder again and again that Christ is saving us by his life, by his Holy Spirit, by his sacrifice, we are still being saved. And so it would be wise for us today to examine ourselves and say, is there any sin that I just refuse to deal with? Is there any sin in my heart that I refuse to even wrestle with at all? Any sin that I have not confessed before the Lord? Again, you're not, you not—you can't clean yourself up, but I can be honest and say, God, I, I need you. Just like I needed you on the very first day when I gave my life to you and you saved me when I couldn't save myself. I still need you today to keep changing me, to help me, to transform me so that I can live in you forever. And he gladly invites you to this table to partake. So I'm gonna invite the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. and I'm gonna invite my deacons as well, the ones who are serving this way. If you go ahead and come up as well. And I want us to prepare ourselves for the table And please know this, you do not have to be a member of our church to partake this morning, but you do need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You need to have a relationship with him. You need to know that you've put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you have, we gladly encourage you to come to this table today. If you say, Adam, I don't know if I can do that, then we honestly don't want to exclude anybody. Today can be the day you put your faith in Jesus Christ that you recognize that there is a God that I am a sinner but this father loves me and has given his life to save me and is offering that to you based on his grace not on your performance what if today was the day you put your hope in him so in just a moment we're going to pray and we're going to pass the elements the bread will come along with the cup and so take one of those if you need but hold on to the element if you would we're all going to partake together in just a second Let's come in humility before the Lord today. We just read the scriptures that said on the night uh, that he, before he was crucified, Jesus took the bread. He passed it to them, says this is my body that is broken for you. I want you to, when you eat this, I want you to remember what I've done. So let's take a moment and remember that. Pray with me if you will. Heavenly Father, we do not deserve this kind of sacrifice and we never will. And Lord, forgive us all for the times where maybe we got somehow to a place where we thought we did. Father, wake us up from our stupor. Wake us up from the illusions of sin. Wake us up that we might know you. Lord, we need you. Lord, as we come to your table today, we recognize that it's only by your sacrifice that we have life. You love us more than we know. Remind us of that today in the bread that we eat. In your name we pray. Amen.